Dear friends in Christ, we're going to start off pretty easy this morning. I just want you to think about uh, your favorite sport. If you don't play sports anymore, maybe think about your favorite sport to watch on TV. Maybe it's like a non-traditional sport like fishing. Just think about your favorite sport. What's your favorite thing to do in that realm of life? Okay, you got one, soccer? Okay, why don't you share it with someone sitting next to you, kind of what you like as far as sports are concerned. And then I'm going to ask you, out of curiosity, have you ever had anybody that you've known that has run out onto the football field or the baseball diamond or the tennis court or walked into a bowling alley, whatever it might be, and and said, you know what, I hope that I get beat really badly today. Has that ever happened? Do you ever hear anybody talk that way? Has anyone ever planned a, a Canada fishing trip and said, I hope we drive way up there, spend all this money, sit in a boat all day long, and don't get one bite? That ever, you ever hear that before? Me neither. I think there's something ingrained in the human being that wants to win. I think that's true in more than just sports. I think it's true in life. Have you ever heard anybody say, I hope that I do horribly in my career, whatever it is? Anybody ever say to you, I hope that I go down in history as being the worst parent ever? Maybe sometimes we feel that way, but has anyone ever expressed that they hope that they are that? Anybody ever say to you, you know what, I I hope that I messed up my investments in life. I hope that I'm pushing money away every month and I lose a ton of it in the stock market. Anybody ever say that? There's something in us that wants to win. In fact, there's also something in us. uh, This is spoken, written specifically about men is what I read, but I think it's true of women. They say that the number one thing that we are afraid of is what? You so much want to win that the number one thing that you fear is is failure. In fact, a lot of times you won't try something. Why? Because you're afraid that you might fail. There's something in us that, that wants to win. We don't want to fail. We don't want the opposite of winning. We don't want the opposite of victory. And yet... As you look at your life honestly, what do you see? Let's hear what the inspired writer Paul says about life in this sin cursed world. Let's let's take a look at, and it might not follow the, the, the verses on the screen, but we're gonna take a look at Romans chapter eight. That's where we are. So if you have a Bible in the pew, you could you could open up to Romans chapter eight, or it's it's in the bulletin there. Um, It'll be on the screen, but I'm kind of jumping around in verses until the end, kind of. But we're going to start by looking at verses 20 to 23. This is how the inspired writer Paul says, this is what life's like. Can you relate? For creation was subjected to futility, not by its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it in the hope that even creation itself will be set free from slavery to corruption in order to share in the glorious freedom of the children of God. 
For we know that all creation is groaning with birth pains right up to the present time. And not only creation, but also we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly while we eagerly await our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. The world is groaning in sin and the effects of sin, but it's not just the world, Paul says. Even we, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, are groaning. Where do you see that in your life? Where do you see that in the world around you? Talked to a, a lady at our church yesterday, and uh, she was diagnosed with cancer, and having trouble with the oncologist, talking with the pulmonary doctor, and, and trying to figure out what, what's the best treatment plan. Every time she goes and sees a doctor, she says that there's always bad news. What is that? It's groaning. You just groan. Find out a loved one, a relative, has a health problem, maybe it's cancer, and what do you do? Do you say, yes? No, you groan. Talked to a, a friend up in Wisconsin yesterday. He's a pastor up there, and uh, someone in his congregation, a uh, young lady in high school, ran, ran over her brother with the four-wheeler. He's in grade school. There's a chance she, that he might not make it. You hear news like that, what do you do? You groan. What's it in your life? You don't even know what to say. You just groan. Two Sundays ago, I was having a conversation with a member of our church family, and he was telling me about a lot of issues with his family. And, and he and I reminded each other of a promise that, that Jesus makes. It's in the gospel lesson for this morning. Maybe a promise that we don't think about all that often. But Jesus says it. In this world, you will have trouble. What I love about God's word is it doesn't always tell you what you want to hear. But it always tells you the truth. In this world, Jesus is talking about you and me. You will have trouble. And yet I'm, I'm constantly shocked when that trouble comes into my life. I think to myself, what? How, how did this happen? How did it go so poorly? And I think of Jesus' problem. Jesus says it. And when Jesus says something, it, it happens. In this sin-cursed world, you will have trouble. But he also holds out hope. What's the hope there? What's the next thing that Jesus says? But take heart. Or, or be courageous. Why? He says, I have overcome the world. Paul, in the, in the verses here, uh, he talks about the phrase birth pains. 
I think that's a, a, a really good phrase in this context. Of course it is. The, the, the Spirit inspired him to write it. Birth pains. Uh, some of you have, have felt those pains. I haven't, of course, but I've seen my wife go through it twice. It looks horrible. And yet there, there's a beginning and an end. And, and after your mother gave birth to you, she held you in her arms and she said, it was all worth it. It was all worth it. That's where Paul goes next. He holds out this hope to us um, in verses 18 and 19 and then 24 and following. This is what he says. For I conclude that our sufferings at the present time, the groaning, the pains, are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. In fact, creation is waiting with eager longing for the sons of God to be revealed. And then you skip down to verses uh, 24 and 25. Indeed, it was for this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for something we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patient endurance. I started a, a Bible information class recently with a, a grandmother, a daughter, and a grandchild. Kind of neat having three generations there in that Bible class. Uh, they, they moved up here from Texas. And uh, I was asking them, you know, okay, I, I, I took the granddaughter. Ashley, she's, you know, maybe in her mid-20s. I said, Ashley, if you could go anywhere in the world, all expense paid trip for a month, where would you go? She said, New Zealand. Where would you go? Think about that for a second. She said, New Zealand. I said, okay, I've never been to New Zealand. It looks really nice in the pictures. Let's, let's, let's take that as an example. So you're going to New Zealand for a month. I said, so you fly out of Omaha into Chicago O'Hare, and you find out that your flight to New Zealand is delayed for a day. There's a couple issues going on. There's no, there are no hotels available, so you're going to have to sleep that night in the airport. How do you feel, and how are you going to get through? And she said, well, she feels disappointed. And then she said something I was not anticipating. She said, I'm going to get through because of the people that I'm with and the snacks that we have. And I said, okay, I wasn't guessing you were going to say that, but that actually is a good answer. How are you going to get through this life? God gives you people to give you encouragement. Look around at your church family. There's some of them. And God gives you snacks. God gives you little bits of enjoyment. Like, let's not pretend like every single minute of every single day I am miserable in this sinker's world. I'm not. There are little bits of enjoyment. There's a place called Dairy Queen with blizzards. There's, there's vacation. There's big fish that you catch. There are little bits of enjoyment. But finally, I said, Ashley, finally, how are you going to get through? This is going to be a miserable night in the airport. And she said, well, I have a month waiting for me in New Zealand. Finally, how are you going to get through the really difficult times, even the really good times? You have eternity waiting for you in paradise. Paul says, our present sufferings, those very real 
troubles that cause groaning. They're not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed. But what about right now? God answers that for us in the next verses. Take a look, starting with verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we should pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that are not expressed in words. And he who searches our hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to God's will. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Because those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then will we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Indeed, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things along with him? If you were going to put those verses into your own words, everyday words, what might you say about them? I think you might look at those verses and you might say to the person sitting next to you in their groaning, you might say, you know what? Those verses tell me that everything's going to be okay. The one true God, the triune God, is on our side. You have the Spirit, and He's interceding for you. You got the, the Father, and you know what your life looks like? And, and He's coordinating all these things somehow for your and others' eternal good. And you got the Son, who gave up His life for ours. And so what does that mean? What does that mean for you? Paul goes on. Who will bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. What's that word? Remember that from catechism class? The gavel comes down. You are declared not guilty. God is the one who does that. Who is the one who condemns? That's right. No one condemns. Why? Because Christ Jesus who died and more than that was raised to life is the one who is at God's right hand and is also interceding for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will trouble or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Those seem like some pretty good possibilities. 
Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What a, a turn of events. From, from groaning in this sin-cursed world to because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that we were connected to by the working of the Spirit through the Word, through the Word attached to water in baptism, through the Word attached to, to bread and wine in Holy Communion. We go from, from groaning in this sin without any hope Two, joining Paul with those fighting words from the verse of the day. Hey, death, tell me, where's your sting? Hey, grave, tell me, where is your victory? Never, ever would we have spoken like that. Never would we have guessed what God tells us here by looking at each other's lives. Never would we have said this, ever. But God says it about you. And so I'm going to say it about you. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's what God says about you because of what Jesus accomplished for you. Do, do, you, do you hear that? More than conquerors? You didn't just sneak out a win. You look at that empty tomb and the scoreboard that is over it, and what does it say? It says, victory! Which leads us to, maybe, one of the greatest promises in the Bible. Last verses. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, neither things present nor things to come, good or bad, nor powerful forces, neither height nor depth, nor anything you could possibly ever even think of or face or imagine, anything else in creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Ever. For all eternity. What a promise. To which I can only respond. Amen. Please stand.
The peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.